On today's episode, we bring it back to the basics, talking about three foundational habits of eating for living a longer, healthier, happier life, and things that we believe that as a society, we have just gotten way too far away from. So take a listen, take some things, implement them, see how much better you can feel. You hear all the bull about diet and exercise. Carbs are evil. Do more cardio. Never eat bread or cookies again. Just do a juice cleanse. We get it. We fell for all of the BS too. It's time to go right to the source with the truth about how to live a healthy, sustainable lifestyle. I am Liz. And I'm Becca. We are your nutrition educators and this is The Food Code. Happy hump day. Yes. Hello, hello. We haven't done a Wednesday podcast in a while. I know. We've had a lot of really good interviews. Um, Liz and I were just talking about how we need to find some more people that we want to bring on the podcast. We've, We've had several interview requests mm-hmm. that haven't really jived. With- yeah. We want to make sure that it jives with our audience mm-hmm. you know, and what we want to bring on the podcast. Um, it is our podcast. We get to be selective. <laughs> um, it's our world. You guys just live in it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, and when I say interview requests, not from our listeners, just from other people wanting to come on and be interviewed. So if you guys have a podcast request or somebody that you listen to and mm-hmm. you know think that would be a great fit for what we talk about, we would absolutely love to consider yeah. them and, and reach out to them. But yeah. yeah, the ones that I've gotten emails about this week, I don't even think I forward a couple of them to you guys. I was like, Meh. yeah, I just like, I, I think that, you know, everyone has value in different ways and that is the beauty of, you know... <laughs> Being able to be an entrepreneur and all of the social media space, like you can find, and this is something I was actually thinking about on the way over because I've been listening to different things recently. And like when you are in this space for a long time, I think anyone is going to go, that anyone that does it right will probably go through periods of like being drawn in different directions Mm -hmm. because of what they're seeing with their clients or their, you know, clinical, clinical practice. Like I have definitely gone through different quote unquote phases of belief, Mm -hmm. um, slash implementation. Um, and a lot of it is because of what we have ran into in terms of our clients. Like, okay, this doesn't work. We need to find a solution. And then it takes you down maybe a different avenue of learning or, you know, implementation practices or whatever it might be. And I'm just thinking back to like when I used to believe only in reverse dieting and like mm-hmm. that was the problem all the time and you just had to fix your metabolism. I listened to a lot of people that believe that. And it's like you have selective listening, obviously, and select then you like don't see other things. And now it's a very much broader you know, spectrum, I think, because we've seen so many different things in our, you know, decade now of coaching um, and helping people. And so I was just thinking about that this morning as I was like, I'm listening to a lot of stuff that reiterates my belief systems, but I used to do that in other ways too, you know, and that's just, that's, you have to be open to new concepts and ideas. And I think that's what makes a good practitioner or coach or whatever um, is being willing to continue to learn and find different ways to solve, you know, solve things and build solutions for your clients. And um, I mean, your belief system, if you are ever chasing evolving and growth and, you know, furthering your development and keeping up with, you know, research or, you know, reading new things, you're always going to be taking into account 
various things because every person is, as we always say on our podcast, a very bio individual. So even though one person might thrive on, you know, a high amount of protein, or let's even just say, like we're going to talk about today, you know, carbohydrates. Like we have some athletes who might thrive on a lot of carbohydrates. There are other athletes that don't thrive on high amount mm-hmm. of carbohydrates, right? And so, um, yeah, I mean, you're just ever evolving. And I was reading something earlier today that was talking about rethinking our approach to PCOS, and I was yeah. like, this is a that's a great way to put it in terms of the evolving research. You know, think about. I think about gut health, right? And just learning so much about the gut and there's so much more to learn. Um, Doctors and scientists and researchers, like we think about acromantia, for example, Mm -hmm. or just leaky gut and some of these terms that we have even 20 years ago, maybe 25, 30 years ago, there was starting to be some talk about it, but it was definitely not to the level that it is today mm-hmm. in terms of what they have identified and found. And so that's, I agree with you. I think if you're going to work with somebody, you should also want to see them continuing to evolve rather than just, hey, they took this one course. Because I even think back to some of the very first courses that you and I took. Yeah. And while they're fantastic, and they can help a lot of people in terms of habits and habit mm-hmm. stacking, right? And kind of the foundational um, one ingredient whole food approach. Mm-hmm. There's just so much more to learn. So yeah, yeah. you guys will probably hear us over the course of, you know, the end of time continue to bring different mm-hmm. perspectives and also bring in different practitioners that we follow yeah. or learn from because they have experience in, you know, certain demographics or, you know, clientele that we have not yet or are not part of what, you know, we plan to maybe mm-hmm. uh, tap into, but they still have a lot of knowledge that is very applicable and yeah. things for us to consider. So yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a great segue into what we want to talk about today, because the foundational habits of like what you should be doing in general in life around food. Like and and bringing it back to why for each of these, um, and where things I think have kind of gone wrong. Because yes, Liz and I love doing all of the fun, fancy testing and gut health and all of the hormones and liver and, but at the end of the day, we were talking about this morning even like you can never ignore how people eat and you know their habits around food and their mental and emotional health and like their sleep quality and getting back to truly the basics because supplements will not work if you are not supporting a better underlying foundation of health. Um, and so we wanted to, we wanted to kind of do a, a podcast today to, to discuss a little bit around what we believe we've continued to see, especially mm-hmm. I think for females in particular who struggle a little bit more just because we have a much more, um, varying hormonal platform across the course of months and our lives even compared to men who have a very consistent one. Um, And so we're going to bring to you kind of the three big pieces that we believe anyone can benefit from our society as a whole should generally be eating this way with a few, you know, unique situations. I think athletes are one, but that's like performance based. We've talked about that before. If you want longevity, you're not going to have longevity and performance in the same token. Like 
if you are working to train at the highest level, you are going to sacrifice some things to do that. Mm -hmm. You are going to need to eat probably more simple carbs and sugars and probably deal with more stress on your immune system and your gut health and all of those things. Like it's just par for the course when you're in a a high level of competing. Um, And same thing with physique. Like if you're going to the extremes with physique composition, you are going to sacrifice. And I think anyone that has ever done a bodybuilding show, a physique competition will tell you this. You are not at the peak of health when you are on stage. You are depressed probably to an extent because you're so deficient in so many things. Um, You have a very poor relationship with food for many of those people. Um, You know, you're probably not sleeping great. Your cortisol has either been through the roof or it's bottomed out at that. Like you have to understand that what we're talking about here is health and preventing disease. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these honestly cross over into anyone who is on a gut healing protocol. So if you're one of our clients and you're on a gut healing protocol and maybe saying, well, does this apply to me? It absolutely applies to you because what we're seeing more and more of as we have gotten some other clients coming in either from other practitioners or referrals from GI doctors or things like that is we still have to focus on the the foundation and the basics. We can't just do the testing, give them a protocol. I'm asking all kinds of questions and then uncovering that, oh yeah, we are drinking multiple alcoholic beverages per week. We are consuming cookies, processed foods, chips, things like that. And in an imbalanced way, not in a way that supports your blood sugar. So that's what we're going to dive into today. And so um, strap in, let's go for a ride because I think it's going to be good. And you'll probably hear us talk about reconsidering the level of protein. I am going to just say that this is very person independent. Mm -hmm. You know, we know that protein is still really, really important for the majority of people. And it's one of the most under eaten macronutrients, if not the most under eaten macronutrient for a lot of people. And so I think it still needs to be a focus, but we also need to talk about, you know, insulin and our hormones and what to do if you're in a temporarily metabolically compromised state. So first and foremost, we got to kick it off with carbs. Mm-hmm. Um, carbohydrates, you guys know, give me a bag of chips and you can munch on them and not even resonate that you just had 800 calories, for example. Totally. Um, baked Cheetos, whatever is your jam. Let's think here too, like Twizzlers. I told you guys over Halloween. Sugar, man. Got a little of those mini Twizzlers. These are so good. But you can overeat carbohydrates so quickly. Mm -hmm. And so what we want to just remind everyone is that, yes, there are a lot of hyperpalatable carbohydrates available to you today. These are the things that really should be very, very minimal in your diet. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to challenge you guys to think, Instead of, you know, how you're building your meals, starting carbs first, because we see a lot of people doing that. Like, oh, I had a sandwich and chips, right? It's pretty carb dense, carb first. Well, look at my plate. Look at what we've developed as a government mm-hmm. in terms of like what we're recommending the to our population pyramid. as a whole. The food pyramid, and my plate's not any better. Like it's still mm-hmm. grains are the majority of your yep. plate. Um, yeah, they threw in like more vegetables and proteins and fats in there. But in general, I, I don't want to say that carbs are the problem because they aren't. I think that the types of carbs are the problem. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, like, for example, if you if anyone's ever heard of like Whole30 diet, mm-hmm. the Whole30 diet is basically one ingredient, whole foods, no dairy, no sugar, no grains for 30 days. And the fact that that is a huge ask to our population is the problem. We've gotten so far away from eating real foods that we have gotten to a place that it's so much easier to overconsume these things, which is why, and we're going to get into this a little bit more later, but like why intuitive eating just doesn't work mm-hmm. in my opinion, because we are too addictive as humans and we have too many addictive foods in our presence on a day-to-day basis. And so 
we're, this first kind of like first one of this list is more so macronutrient rules as a whole and carbs being the main thing that Liz kind of started with, obviously. I challenge you, if you've never tracked food, if you've never, if you think that you're doing okay, but like you're not seeing weight loss or you're gaining weight or whatever it might be, track a day and not only see how many carbs you're eating, but look at the percentage Mm-hmm. of carbs compared to your other calories. Because I think that's a big thing is people are like, well, I don't eat that many carbs. Okay, maybe you aren't eating 400 grams of carbs. But in comparison to fats and protein, you're very carb dominant. Mm-hmm. And that can be a problem. Well, and this is a big problem because thank you, my fitness pal and other trackers, I'm gonna call them out here. When anyone sets their goals, you know, it'll say, hey, I am 33, 140 pounds, I wanna lose two pounds a week. What it not only does is underfeed you in terms of overall calories, and it sets the stage for unrealistic expectations, by Mm -hmm. the way, but it tells you to eat 50% of those calories coming from carbohydrates. In reality, this is definitely very far off for most individuals. Again, maybe you're an anomaly here that you are, you know, an athlete and you're fueling for performance and you do really, really well on carbohydrates. Awesome. Uh, For the most, the majority of people, I'm going to say anywhere between 25 and 35%, maybe even less for some individuals is really kind of a ballpark that I would, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. put you in because you want to have, again, we're talking about a balance here. Um, And then I'm going to take it a step further and say, I want you to look at your sugar content. How many grams of sugar are you consuming each day? What about your fiber? And I'm not talking about processed fiber, Catalina Crunch that has added fiber or Quest bars with added fiber. I'm talking about did you have an apple today? Did you have some berries? Did you have a pear? You know, did you have any vegetables that are bringing you in some fiber? And so look at not only the overall ratio in terms of the percentage there, but where are they coming from? Do you have a lot of one ingredient whole foods? Do you have a lot of processed foods? Do you have a lot of sugar? Because soda, Starbucks, juice, all those things, they're going to drive not only your carbohydrates up, but they're also going to drive your sugar up quite high. And not satisfy you at all. Mm-hmm. And so- I think that the problem again, too, and I think if you are a high stress individual, you probably will do better with less carbs, to be honest, because your blood sugar is probably already baseline elevated because of the stress and the cortisol. And then on top of that, you're going to be asking your body to manage things in terms of blood sugar that tend to spike blood sugar very high. So now you're working off of a higher baseline and carbs make people more hungry. It's just the fact of it. Like when you eat higher carb, you tend to be hungrier in general on a day-to-day basis. And so you tend to eat more. So carbs, you need to control them. And I would say if you eat food that is one ingredient, like fruits, vegetables, potatoes, you are much less likely to overconsume carbs. Keep it to that. that. We can keep it that simple. So protein next. Yes, it is very important. Yes, it is very satiating. I think that there are some things we need to touch on with protein that a lot of people probably don't think about. Um, I don't think that everyone needs like one gram per pound of body weight for protein. I think that that is, especially if you are dealing with high weight, obesity, so forth. You, There's no way you could even get there for most no, people. No, no. And protein can cause an insulin response like sugar can if you are in an unhealthy place to begin with, meaning like you are already pre-diabetic or diabetic. Um, I think for most people, like 0.7 to 0.8 grams per pound of body weight is adequate. But the biggest thing is you need to diversify protein Mm -hmm. because so many people are like, I live off of egg whites and chicken breast and protein shakes. And it's like, (laughs) okay, first of all, there's no fat there. You have removed all of the taste that is enjoyable from food. I remember when I used to make egg white omelets and they were like watery and I was like, I'm just choking it down, like trying, cause I thought that that was the best option. 
Oh, I'm just thinking way back to like <laughs> the nasty Greek yogurt, no oh, fat. God. And you're trying to put like Truvia in it or something like that to make it taste better. And it was terrible. Um, yeah, the egg whites for sure, watery, uh, 100 calorie. 100 calorie packs. 100 and like calorie packs. dry chicken that mm-hmm. I was just like choking down. It's just, <laughs> you it's guys, really sad. I mean, it's really sad. It but is. It's, here's the thing is, the society that we live in today, especially with the diet culture, kind of promotes all of these things, right? Like, listen, Becca and I use supplements as a supplemental source. I've actually stopped using as much as I Mm -hmm. was previously. Um, I'm not eating as much as I was, though, previously when we were doing 75 Hard. And 75 Hard, I had collagen, protein shake, and a protein bar every day just to get, you know, my protein in. But we're also speaking from a higher activity level place to Mm -hmm. where I don't do well off of high carbohydrates and I needed something, you know, other than just fats to be able to fill my calories and still, you know, adequately fuel. So again, take this with a grain of salt if you're listening, but you do want to have good amount of fats here. And what we would say in terms of diversifying is don't fear certain proteins, right? We hear this all the time and you guys can go back and listen to other episodes with Rob Wolf. He talks about this, you know, in a really um, educational and powerful way. Go watch their documentary mm-hmm. um, because a lot of people we see fear different animal protein sources for a variety of reasons. And in reality, God created these things for Mm -hmm. us, um, you know, to eat and to enjoy. And so when we're saying here, diversify, I would even challenge you to think about when was the last time that you bought something that was like outside of just your normal routine? Because I Mm -hmm. know for us, even Art and I were talking about it recently. It's like, we need to incorporate more salmon. We need to incorporate more, you know, fish other than just shrimp yep. right yeah it's easy. this is and and that is again diversity of food is huge you guys mm-hmm. eating a one avenue like same foods every single day is not good for your body you are completely limiting the nutrient profile you're getting your gut microbiome is only able to feed off of those so you're creating an ecosystem that caters to specific things and so if you're dealing with symptoms or so, like whatever it might be you're limiting your ability to heal from those and in general we are meant to eat the fat. We are meant to eat, you know, the full egg, the, you know, ground beef that's not 93.7 or 96.4, like the 85.15 or even the 80.20, like those things, as long as, again, you're trying to get the most well-sourced protein, that is definitely, it makes a difference. Um, but in general, I, I was listening to something this morning and they were joking. They were like, I mean, a hundred years ago, if you would have told people that we were going to take the yolks out of eggs and just eat the egg whites or cut all of the fat off of chicken, they didn't even eat chickens back then. Like chickens were for eggs. You ate cattle, you ate ground beef, like you ate those things. Chickens were not for eating in the 1900s. And I'm not to say that like chicken is bad, um, but we have to be getting away from these things that are so one narrow-minded, like, all I eat is low-fat. Because again, this is demonizing of fat. This is what culture has done to us. Fat should be eaten liberously. Is that what I want to say? Liberally? Liberally. Liberously. Liberally, I think. No, liberally is like you're bringing politics into the game that we don't... No, liberal. (laughs) Like, in liberal amounts. Am I right here, Art? Liberally. (laughs) Liberally. It is liberally? (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Um, So, keep... Keep them from whole foods. I don't think that you should be eating like massive amounts of cheese. Um, I think that's something that a lot of people do wrong when they do like low carb. Mm-hmm. Um, but you want to be eating, you know, good amounts of olive oil, butter, ghee, nuts, seeds, red meat, salmon, all of these different things and eat them with protein. 
I think you don't need yeah. to be eating like a stick of butter by itself. Um, but that is how food was designed, right? Like nuts are fats and protein and a little bit of carbs. Like mm-hmm. those things were designed for a purpose, how they were meant to be. Um, so I, I think we need to get away from the fear of fats. And I think that tracking too is a big part of that because people see fats get above, oh, 90 grams, you know, whatever it might mm-hmm. be, or like calories go up, but it's how your body's using those calories. Yeah. And I mean, I think we have to also think about all of the other vitamins and minerals and things that we're getting if we are diversifying our diet, right? Like when we think about fats, we need them to build healthy hormones. We need them to be able to absorb fat soluble vitamins, A, D, E, and K. Guys, those are pretty darn important. Um, vitamin D is a hormone, you know? And so a lot of people who, if you've done the research yourself, um, but a lot of people who are like I was in 1990 and early 2000s, feared fat. Like I grew up in that era of fat free, avoid fat. Right. And what we've seen in the research now is showing us that it's made people fatter Mm -hmm. uh, by avoiding fats. And it's because when you shift and you remove kind of like, you know, when we get into like the keto topic here, you avoid this whole food group. Not only are you removing all of those uh, nutrients, vitamins and minerals, but now you're shifting the calories coming from somewhere else. Right. And so when the fats all went away, they were filling it with preservatives or sugars or things, right. To replace in the products for people to still, you know, somewhat, I guess, air quote here, enjoy them, but for them to be edible, I guess. Um, you know, and so this is just one thing that you want to look at. If you are somebody who tracks your food, look at a ratio here. I think if you want to just start in a really nice balanced place, 30, 35 of each macro here. Um, you know, I don't think if you're coming in eating 60 grams of protein that you should just all of a sudden jump up to maybe 100, 120 grams of protein if that's more of the 30, 35% for you, because that can have repercussions as well. But yeah, avoiding fats, um, you know, number one, they just make things taste so good. Like (laughs) bacon in your uh, vegetables, right? They might be even the gateway for you to enjoying other types of foods Mm -hmm. that you haven't in the past, Right? I think about, you know, sweet potatoes. I love to have just a little bit of Kerrygold butter on that, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, you know, just really think here how you can diversify. And we've said this a hundred times probably over on our podcast. Keep it simple. Don't yeah. get crazy. <clears throat> Don't be that person that goes to the store and buys all the fruits and vegetables and then ends up throwing out 90% of them because you didn't use them. Pick one or two new things per week. Look at good source, you know, good quality sources that you are comfortable consuming. Some people don't like to do pork. That's fine. You don't have to do that. But if you're comfortable, you know, look at ButcherBox, look at some of these other uh, companies online that can get you some regeneratively sourced grass-fed organic meats that you can really start to, and and I'm going to even add in here, you know, the game, right? Like Mm -hmm. venison, um, liver, right? Beef heart, all of these other things that you might've shied away from for a while. They're very, very nourishing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the last thing I want to say about the carbohydrates, look at these, Number one, I would consider, I would challenge you to consider or start considering your carbs being fruits and vegetables rather than, I think so many people, they think pasta, potatoes, right? Very Mm -hmm. dense uh, carbohydrates. So think of your carbs as fruits and vegetables. And then think of any other, let's say, fun carbs or grains or your potatoes and things like that as more decorative. Like they shouldn't be the highlight of your plate. Mm -hmm. They really should be kind of, if you flip flop the my plate or the, food pyramid, more of that additive, like the fat was like tablespoon or two tablespoons of fat is, you know, kind of what you're adding. I would challenge you to think, okay, how can I make, let's say you're doing like burrito bowls, this with, you know, 
some good vegetables in there. You've got some good salsa. You're bringing a variety of, um, you know, cilantro and onion and just other like seasonings here that are naturally sourced, right? And then you're going to add your beans or your rice more as an additive rather than when you go to Chipotle and it's first, let me put the ladles of the super, super cheap rice on here with a bunch of hydrogenated oil. (laughs) And then we'll add the other things like start to build your bowls or your meals a little bit backwards in that way. And we guarantee you, you're not even going to want to overconsume these carbohydrates then if you are filling up with adequate fiber, sure. protein, and fat. And I think that's the biggest problem. We, I think that tracking food shouldn't be necessary. We have people track food to develop, redevelop awareness around things. But if we were eating one ingredient whole foods, we wouldn't need to track because we wouldn't be tempted to overconsume these things. Mm-hmm. Like the reason I think so many people feel like they have to track calories is because you're trying to fit in like your tortilla, you know, your flour tortillas and your bread sandwich and your cookie at night and your ice cream. And like, you're trying to fit in these really highly palatable foods and sure all about portion control and including some things in general. But like, that is why I think we've gotten as a society so consumed over calories because we're eating foods that are really easy to overconsume. So you have to track calories then because if you just ate intuitively, you would end up overconsuming. So again, go back to how we were meant to eat as people in terms of one ingredient foods, lots of fats, good proteins, and some carbs coming from obviously, you know, things that are seasonal. Um, the next thing I think again really screwed us as a society is we've gotten into this like eating lots of small meals throughout the day. We eat very often. And when you're doing that, a couple things can happen. One, motility gets blunted because you have to have time between eating that allows for the motility muscles in your digestive muscles to basically push food down your digestive tract. If you're eating constantly, you're shutting off those signals. The other piece, you are asking so much of blood sugar to chronically be working, to go up and down and up and down every time you decide to take like walk by the pantry and take a couple handfuls of something. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, the problem with this also is you end up driving hunger because your body, it gets used to things, it adapts, you feed it every two hours, guess what? It's going to want food every two hours. And so I I think the, the fact that we've moved towards eating so frequently and like these small little meals, I think has screwed us. Yeah. I think on the flip side, you know, the timing for individuals is going to be very uh, individualized based upon what's going on with you, right? And your schedule. We've talked about this before because we've also seen the opposite be true where people are trying to fast or they heard that intermittent fasting was good for them. And so they're pushing everything off until 12, one o'clock fueling up on black coffee all morning, right? Which again, by itself is still working your blood sugar. But then- on the opposite end of this eating window, they're gorging. You know, they have these strong cravings or they just feel so overly hungry that when their fasting time, uh, that window opens up, they overconsume. And so what, you know, we're kind of saying here is like, think about, you got to do what's right for you and what you feel good with. Track this for a period of time. Maybe you are somebody who should fast a little bit longer uh, because you find that you're waking up, you're eating, you're grazing, you're snacking, then you're having meals um, on top of all of that. 
So what I've kind of been challenging clients with lately is look at the balance of your meal. You want it to be satiating enough with protein, fat, and fiber that can get you three to five hours in between. That allows enough time for your digestive system to have a little bit of a break. Um, you know, is it a long-term fast when you get into like cellular turnover and autophagy and things like that? No, not necessarily, but you can still do the body a lot of good if you can just give yourself some balanced meals, get that three to five hour in between if you need to drink water, right? Do things, distract yourself. But even when we look at like chewing gum and mints and all of these other things that people typically turn to, you're still swallowing all of that stuff, putting that artificial chemicals and things from sugar-free gum, for example, you know, into the GI tract. So really try to look at the balance of your meals and, and eat in a way and adjust your meals accordingly that can give you a time, uh, you know, a long enough between your meals that's going to keep you satiated. It's not going to lead you to the cookie pan, you know, jar or like the mm-hmm. um, pantry late at night, but that is going to give you enough energy to sustain you and fuel you from a blood sugar perspective, your brain, yeah. you know, cognitive development, all of yeah. those things. Well, and I think that's the big problem, right? Is like we have people that are basically like, I'm hungry, but I can't eat. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't be hungry. Like you should be satiated from your meals that you're eating because they contain fiber and adequate fats and proteins. And they're not having foods that basically just stimulate hunger chronically Mm -hmm. or that aren't actually satiating to your body. And so your body's driving you to have cravings or, you know, feeling like you need to eat every couple of hours. I will say since I have shifted my way of eating, because I used to be very high carb. I used to be very like every two to three hours I was eating something. <clears throat> my way now, I'm full for three to five hours. Like I don't feel the need to eat. And it turned into me eating way more fruits, vegetables, starchy carbs, and then lots more fat. And I'm so much happier. I feel better. My digestion's better. My sleep is better. Like everything has improved. And a big part of this too, I understand is When you eat so frequently and also especially late at night, Mm -hmm. you do impact your circadian rhythm and your hormones. And so your body is intended, it is built to eat when it is light out and not eat when it is dark out. That is how your circadian rhythm, because your circadian rhythm is essentially your hormones clock. Mm -hmm. Like that is what it is. And so we are meant to eat with the sun, fast with the darkness, and your body has different insulin response, glucagon response, cortisol effects. When you eat the same thing, at different times of day. Like we've seen that with research. You have a different insulin response at night. So like nighttime eating can spike insulin and can cause blood sugar to be elevated, driving further insulin resistance situations and higher levels of melatonin actually, like at night, can inhibit the secretion of insulin. So if you eat right before bed, a huge meal or a bunch of sugar, when melatonin is high, you will not have as healthy of an insulin response because of melatonin's presence there. And so like we have, and you know, on many podcasts, we've talked about having a small bedtime snack. It's a bio-individual situation. Again, if someone struggles with like low blood sugar, cortisol issues, again, there's phases that you work on with this stuff. But in general, you should try to be done eating 6, 7 p.m., two to three hours before bedtime so your body is not having to manage blood glucose overnight. Yeah. And then what I would say is if you do find that you are either physically hungry 
or your sleep is still disrupted, then you need to look at other things that are going on. Maybe you adjust, you know, your dinner and maybe your dinner uh, is a little lower carb, higher fats. You know, you have to play around with ratios and what's going to make you feel good. Again, it's all the the question is what else is going on, right? Very bio-individual here. The other big thing, and I would challenge you on the flip side of this is to look at when you wake up in the morning, you know, one of the number one things that you can do to support your circadian rhythm is get that sunlight first thing in the morning. So whenever the sun rises, get that on your eyes as soon as you possibly can. Also, another really great thing is to get grounded. Walk outside barefoot for a few minutes if you can. Obviously, it's snowing here in Illinois. I am not going outside and walking barefoot. Uh, my husband would do that. But, um, you know, those are some things. And then getting outside, you know, especially during the day when you can in between meetings, get that natural light on your eyes. That plays a huge role in balancing your circadian rhythm and your internal clocks. Also, your your internal organ clocks as well. And so, if you are somebody who says, okay, well, I've always been snacking before bed, ask yourself two questions. One, has it become a habit and you're just eating? Like I know when we were doing the beginning of 75 hard, I was doing those mug cakes every night. Then I was like, I don't even want this anymore. Like Mm -hmm. I don't need it. I'm not hungry from, you know, we had a a good dinner or we ate at seven o'clock instead of, you know, 8.30. Like, I don't need it, you Mm -hmm. know? And so evaluate these things. Has it just become a habit? Uh, And then if you are someone who right now still needs to be doing some blood sugar balancing snacks because you find that it helps you sleep through the night and get uninterrupted sleep, maybe, you, you know, I've had seasons where I've either woken up in the middle of the night hungry or first thing in the morning, like very, very hungry. Look at how can I adjust my, you know, dinner time um, and then maybe start to slowly work your way back. So if you are going to bed at 10 o'clock and you were doing this nighttime snack at, let's say nine o'clock, how could you push that up, you know, maybe eight 30 and then eight, and then it's just with your dinner, um, you know, work with somebody too, to see if there's anything else that's going on that can impact this. But I don't think that it's going to be a flip of the switch for a lot of people. I think you're going to need to really pay attention to the balance of your meals, adjust, um, that first, and then work your way into either a longer fasting window or just stopping that snack entirely. Yeah. And the last one here guys is whole foods first. So we obviously talked already about like macronutrient rules with the control carbs, adequate protein, liberal fats, and then the second one being, you know, not eating so frequently. Um, this last one is whole foods first. And, and again, I think that if you are someone that asking you to eat all whole foods is like a big ask, start to evaluate your day, like go through your day and track your food and start to check mark like all the things that come out of a package or that are not made from one ingredient foods by you. I think that as a society, people are paralyzed with the thought of whole foods because it's it's so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. We're so used to cereal in the morning, a bar, a shake, frozen right? waffle, you know, you know, all of the convenience things, right? We're going to hit the drive through. And so then to say, hey, instead of going to Starbucks every day and getting your wrap, let's make some of these things at home. It's like they don't even know where to begin. And so what we would say to you is like shop the perimeter of the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Think very simple. You know, if you need to do bag salad kits for a period of time, do that. I've shifted away from them just because I wasn't using the toppings and the dressing. And it's like, I'm paying literally for cabbage. This is stupid. Um, so we like, you know, our protein green mix there, but have also have fun with this too, because yes, it can be overwhelming depending upon your current intake. Mm-hmm. But if you can shop the perimeter of the store, Feel free to use sauces, seasonings, herbs, spices, fats. That's what makes our food so tasty. And I think what you'll find over time is even if you say right now, Liz, I'm just not a really good cook. Well, guess what? God created YouTube or 
I don't know who created YouTube, but <laughs> we have YouTube, we have Pinterest. There are so many cookbooks out there on the market right now. Like you can become a cook. You can become a self taught cook. Beck and I didn't go to cooking school and I think we're pretty decent cooks, mm -hmm. you know, but you just got to put in a little bit of effort here. And so find some recipes, start with something as simple on Pinterest searching three ingredient, easy weeknight dinners, five ingredient, you know, you can work your way up and it doesn't need to be some of these recipes that you see that are 20, 30 ingredients that are really overwhelming, but start to understand how you can mix and match flavors too to your taste preferences. And then it becomes easier over time it's like second nature. Like mm -hmm. I don't even second guess anymore what I'm buying at the grocery store. You shop the perimeter, you get a variety of fruits and vegetables in season. You look at how you can diversify your proteins along with your normal proteins that you have. And then you decorate with your carbs. Yeah. And I think like in the tough thing is a lot of people think that they eat very healthy, but look at your day. Like, are you eating two or three low carb tortillas with lunch and gluten-free frozen waffles with breakfast every day and dinners like, you know, a, a, or a snack is like a bar and then you're having a yogurt. Like a lot of these things are technically processed guys. Like they aren't one ingredient whole foods. And that's where I think when you can evaluate and start making some of these swaps, you do feel better and you start to appreciate food more, to be honest. Like when I make my dinner, I appreciate it more. I'm proud of it. I enjoy it more versus like I just buy a bunch of things that are frozen or, you know, Uber Eats or whatever it is. Um, and I, I don't actually appreciate that food. It is much easier to control calories when you are the one cooking it and when you are the one that is putting those things in there. And in general, like the nutrient value is just so much higher with real mm -hmm. foods. You cannot replicate it. I know that companies try to, but you just can't. You cannot replicate, you know, fiber and iron and all of these things, even though you're trying to fortify it into cereals, like it just isn't the same. And again, this is where we come back to. This is why intuitive eating, I'm sorry. I know a lot of, you know, dietitians and people out there are big on like everything in moderation and so forth. But like most people struggle with moderation because food is just very tasty these days. We're addicted to it. And most people honestly do better abstaining from it. Yeah. You got to look at it, you know, to think about what are you most addicted to? Like we, mm -hmm. we do ask this on our intake form. What is something that you feel like you couldn't give up? And we hear a variety of things. Most of the time it comes back to sugar, salt, or high fat foods. Like they Chocolate, love wine. their fried foods, right? Mm -hmm. Like we love having wings together on the weekends. And absolutely, you know what? We don't want to take away your life's experience and, and your joy because food should be enjoyable. But outside of that, how much are you indulging? You know, how many times a week do you go to the cupboard for a couple handfuls of crackers or chips or whatever that may be? How many nights are you allowing yourself to have, you know, chocolate or cookies or whatever after eating dinner and things like that? And so I think you have to look at, we know that these things are hyper palatable, how are you setting up your environment too? If it's in your house and it's staring you at the face, you're probably going to struggle, you yeah. know, a lot and, more than somebody who's not. And I, I'm not ever going to say like putting these things into practice is not hard. I get that it is hard. I, this is an ideal guys. Like, listen, I eat dinner every night at eight thirty, nine o'clock some nights, because that is what time Nick and I are able to actually eat, sit down, relax and enjoy a meal. Because I even texted Liz last night. I was like literally every day from five to 7 PM is total chaos in my house. Like Taylor will not go to Nick. She's on my shoulder or like crying to be on my shoulder basically for two hours straight. Once I get her every night. And I just, I, I don't have the capacity to cook an entire dinner with her also with Carson and while Nick's coming home from work. Like it's just not realistic. And so in my world, that is an area that I know could use improvement. And so again, this is not stuff that I am saying 
is easy to put into place, but start to evaluate like, where can I, I have since, because I, I used to eat dinner at 8.39 PM, wake up at 5 AM and immediately have like a bar or something mm-hmm. like that. I have now started to fast until like 8.39, 9.30 AM, depending on what my morning looks like. And improve my fasting window because it was like literally six hours. Like it was, mm-hmm. it was ridiculous how small it was. And so I have seen that and I'm like, okay, I can make an improvement here. Even though I can't necessarily pull dinner back easily, I can push breakfast off and I can manage. Most people manage that a lot better anyways. Like most people wake up and aren't super hungry. And so I think Kellogg's is like the people that said the breakfast is the most important meal of the day at some point and it's just stuck. But like you, if you are not hungry in the morning, push off that breakfast. Just make sure that you're eating enough once you do eat, because that's the big problem is that we maybe try to have these windows or we try to do these things, but then we don't change, you know, other areas to help make up for whatever might've been at fault. And so again, I get that these things are hard. I'm not saying that they aren't hard to put into practice, but think about what we talked about today, like evaluate where you can start to make improvements on and just start taking small action. Yeah. And the last thing I wanted to add here is just, we do have a lot of listeners who do train a lot and they lift heavy. Um, you know, the rule kind of still stands. The golden rule is like time your carbs around your workout, Mm -hmm. you know? So I work out at six o'clock in the morning. By the time I come home, I shower, I get ready. I'm having breakfast usually in the ballpark of eight to nine. That is the majority. Like I have a higher carb breakfast than I do in terms of my lunch and dinner most of the time. Sometimes I'll time it to where I backload the day a little bit just because I'm not eating snacks after dinner anymore. And we are eating at like 6, 6.30 right now with it freaking dark outside. What are you going to do with a kid for three and a half hours? Um, you know. So I think that is just one other thing is also think about if you are very active, how you're timing your carbohydrates. I personally am not a big fan of coming home from the gym and not eating for three or four hours. Like I've just trained intensely. I'm also starving usually by the time I get home. Um, And so I very quickly am changing and showering and getting uh, myself a well-rounded meal. And for me, that looks like 25 to 35 grams of protein. Uh, Then I'm usually doing 30, 35 grams of uh, carbohydrates and then some other source of fats. Like if it's, you know, a nut butter or, um, you know, today I did avocado on my toast, things like that whatever, you know, serves you best and makes you feel good, kind of evaluate that. And again, play around with the timing of your carbohydrates, because I think that's going to make a big difference for a lot of people. And you just want to make sure that you are using those carbohydrates uh, as well. And obviously from an insulin perspective, we want to get into that kind of rest and digest state. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that I think a lot of people uh, don't understand is that you stay in this state of, you know, being in a catabolic state essentially until you bring in some recovery in terms of protein and carbohydrates. So you want to get into more of that anabolic state, that parasympathetic state, you know, especially if you're intensely training. Yeah. I I think that intensely training is a small portion of the population, but there are a lot of people out there. Like if you're getting your heart rate up real high, if you're lifting at maximal loads, you need to be taking in some type of fuel post-workout. Like it's just, it's the reality of it. And again, especially as females, our hormones are much more sensitive than males. Um, They can get away, they can get away with a lot more than we can. And so you have to just honor that and, and think of again, like Liz was saying, experiment, implement, see how you feel and adjust. Mm -hmm. Don't just take something at face value and believe that that is the best thing for you and your body. You have to be willing to experiment with different things. Thank you for listening to The Food Code. If this episode resonated with you, please share, rate, and review as this helps us reach others around the world. With that, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Love you guys.